Welcome to Mother Bodies, the podcast about postnatal health and why it matters. I'm your host, Rosie Taylor. I'm a journalist and I'm on a mission to find out why we so often fail to give mothers the care and support they need after birth. It's fabulous to have you back for this second series or welcome to those of you listening for the first time. Just in case you're new to Mother Bodies, let me tell you what the podcast is all about. Every week, I speak to an expert or well-known mum. Together, we debunk myths and break down taboos around postnatal health and discuss why the system is failing so many women and what we can do to change parents' lives for the better. This is Mother Bodies. So today, I'm delighted to be speaking to Emma Svanberg. Emma is a chartered clinical psychologist who specialises in working with parents and parents-to-be. You probably know her from social media as the Momologist. Emma is also the co-founder of Make Birth Better, which is a campaign group raising awareness of birth trauma. She's also an author. Her latest book, Parenting for Humans, is out now and is about how to parent the child you have as the person you are. Emma, welcome. Hello, lovely to be here. I'm really interested in this idea of parenting the child you have as the parent you are, because this seems Mm -hmm. very different from your sort of standard parenting manual that tells you what you should be doing. Can you explain why your approach is so different? Well, I think exactly as you say, we tend to follow this parenting, manualized parenting advice, of which there is a huge amount out there at the moment. And we apply it to this kind of idealized version of our child and ourselves. So, so much of the parenting advice that is out there kind of assumes that we are parenting one child, it assumes that we are parenting full time, or certainly that we have the mental capacity to be able to put into practice some of these really intricate strategies, that we are able to be consistent every day, which of course, we're just not because we're human beings and we live full lives. So my approach, I suppose, is the step before that, because I do think that a lot of that advice is extremely helpful. But I think that we need to understand ourselves and the circumstances that we live in, in order to be able to pick and choose what of that advice we will find helpful. And also to have the awareness of what we need so that we can also tweak it to suit our own circumstances and you know there is no advice that is going to suit every single person so we do have to make adjustments to suit us and our families and our children but that's kind of not how it's presented most of the time so I sort of see this as a precursor to some of that parenting advice that's out there. Brilliant so is it more about Starting with yourself and reflecting on what's important to you and what your strengths are rather than beating yourself up because you're not the kind of parent that goes to baby groups or gets up and does yoga in the morning, which I'm just describing yes. myself here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's all interesting how quickly we kind of go, and these are all of the things in that idealised parent bubble that I am failing to do. It's about really understanding ourselves as adults so it is a parenting book because I work predominantly with parents and parents to be but actually my training is as an adult psychologist I just happen to have specialized in the perinatal period so I work a lot with parents either within that new parent phase or looking back on their perinatal period and the heart of my work is really understanding everything that make us into the adults that we are So that's looking back at our childhood experiences, 
of being parented ourselves, but really looking at those kind of key relationships that we have as children and how those key relationships influence us in the way that we feel about ourselves as we grow up and also how we expect other people to relate to us. And it's only really when we understand, you know, that kind of blueprint that we've been handed from our childhood that we can then think about what of that do we want to let go in our adult life and what do we want to hang on to? Because what we do very naturally as we grow up is that you know we take those feelings of vulnerability those kind of little kid feelings that we maybe didn't really like very much and we create lots of different I call them characters in my book but like masks or defenses that stop other people from being able to see those vulnerabilities the reason that that becomes so important when we become parents is our kids just see straight through those right right? they're like I can see you (laughs) I see all of your vulnerability I can see all of the things that make you feel you know difficult or in pain you know our kids really we talk about pushing our buttons it's because they see through all of those masks and they see us for the whole people that we are so the more that we can understand all of those parts of us the more kind of wholeheartedly we can show up on our parenting and also really embrace all of those bits of our children too, you know, all of the bits about them that are less than ideal. Yeah. So in many ways, it, you know, it is a win-win scenario when we accept all the bits about us that we don't quite like or that we don't feel comfortable with. It makes it much easier to do that with other people too, including our children. That's really interesting. And it's interesting what you say about how important it becomes when you become a parent. And I wonder if part of that is, I mean, I've certainly realised that as I go through certain parenting challenges, as I suppose you could put it with my with my son, um, you almost kind of relive and re-evaluate what happened to you and kind of think, oh yeah. God, my parents did this when I did this. And sometimes you think they did the right thing and sometimes you think oh I'm not sure that that was good and maybe that Mm. made me feel unhappy or I don't want my child to feel that way and it does suddenly it almost I think raising children does make you relive your childhood yeah to a degree doesn't it (laughs) it does well it's because we I mean it's interesting there's lots of different theories as to why but you know if you think about it just from a pure perspective of memory like we know that we can access our memories much more clearly when we're in a situation that triggers that memory so seeing a child of the age that we were when we're they're kind of acting in a way that maybe we remember from our own childhood will just trigger you know it's not even necessarily a memory it can sometimes just be like a feeling hmm. within our body so it's almost like a pre-verbal memory that's really interesting the reason why that happens because when we experience things with our children we can almost just look at it from the perspective of memory so you know that memories can be really triggered by being in a similar situation to you know if we go on holiday to somewhere that we've been before we can suddenly remember like the ice cream that we ate or we can remember what we were wearing and actually it's just the being there experiencing it that can just open up those pathways in our memory so that they become easier to access again same thing happens to us when we become parents so when we see our child at the same age as we were we can remember how we felt at that age we can remember how we were responded to what can be really tricky is that often those are pre-verbal memories particularly in early parenthood so it can feel much more like a physical feeling or Mm. suddenly you might feel really ashamed or you might feel really frightened but you don't necessarily know why because you don't have that verbal memory to articulate well, this is why I'm feeling that way because this is what maybe would have happened to me in this situation. Right. 
So this is why it becomes so important to understand what we went through. Because if we can put words to that, then we know what belongs to us. Like this is part of our memory. This is part of our experience. This is why I'm feeling that way. And it stops us from then putting that onto our child. Mm. Because otherwise we kind of might have this feeling, let's say the feeling is fear. And we might either assume that our child is frightened and respond to them as if they're frightened, which they may not be. Or we might think that our child is the one who is making us feel afraid. And then we are kind of responding to them accordingly. When we know that that fear comes from us, we can then make much more conscious choices about how we respond to our child. And that's the complicated process, right? It's not an easy thing. I'm talking about it very easily, but that takes a lot of unpicking and thinking and figuring out what happened to me. And all of this is happening when we're in really stressful situations with small human beings. So yeah. these are not things that happen quickly. And that's something that I really emphasize throughout my work really is that, you know, if we're going to do this meaningfully, we have to really take our time with it. Mm-hmm. And we have to accept that at different phases of our parenting or our adult life, these things will kind of come up and touch us in different ways. So it's never something that you just do and it's done. It's something that is a process that will continue throughout your adult life. Yeah. And that's fascinating. And I think, you know, you talked about fear then, but I'm presuming that that also applies to things like rage. And I know there's been much more discussion about maternal rage recently. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm probably all of us at some point are slightly guilty of thinking, oh, my kid's really winding me up today. And and like you say, it's taking that step back and thinking, well, obviously, they're not consciously trying to anger you. What's happening is you're having a response of anger to their behavior and that's that's on you it's not on them I guess sometimes they might be trying to anger you oh, it can be really exciting <laughs> you know, for, especially for little toddlers sometimes they're like oh it's kind of exciting slightly scary but also kind of funny when mum makes that like really big angry face that she does you know there's something that for children particularly children who are secure who feel safe with you where anger doesn't feel really meaningful you know it can be frightening but at the same time if that's not something that's part of their everyday experience it can also feel a little bit thrilling so sometimes you know they do they do like to kind of poke and just see what's going to happen because they experiment that's what children do they experimenting all the time and part of their experimenting is when I do this what reaction do I get from my parents so that is part of their social experiment of what it is to be human there are so many different reasons why we might get angry you know sometimes it is in direct response to something that our child has done but if we think about that from our stress responses right we're talking about fight flight freeze there's also fawn and flop which I talk about in the book but when we have that fight response which is what anger usually is sometimes it's because we've been touched in some way so there is something that has felt threatening to us the threat might be a physical threat, like our child has just thrown something really hard at us and we have that really automatic fight response. But it can also be a much more psychological threat, like, you know, maybe one particular one, which is really common, is I'm going to be late and then other people Mm. are going to judge me because they're going to think that I don't, you know, have it together. And that can feel like a sort of psychological threat. So we might then respond with that sort of fight response to our child. It can often be a sign to that we are just in a higher stress state. So often if we feel like we're losing our temper a lot more than we normally would, often that's just a sign that our adrenaline is really high in our body. So we're very easily tipped over into that kind of fight or flight response. 
and that is so common in parenting because it can be really relentless you know we're often meeting somebody else's needs 24 7 sleep deprived which also puts us into that kind of survival mode stress state because our body is thinking that we're kind of in an emergency situation we're often not eating very well and that too can take its toll on our body we can end up feeling you know again those kind of adrenaline cortisol rushing through our system all of those things make it much more likely that we're going to respond with that kind of fight or flight response And then if we add to that the layer of what we were talking about before, well, maybe this has actually touched something in me that feels threatening because this is what would have happened to me when I was younger. If I, you know, was dawdling to put my shoes on or if I'd, you know, dropped my cereal on the floor, whatever it is, you know, maybe you have a a memory of being shouted at yourself and either then you kind of have that automatic response where it comes out of your own mouth. Or, which I think is really interesting, what often happens to people is that they manage to suppress that urge to shout, which is what would have happened to them, that kind of automatic reaction. But then they might have a kind of little kid part in them going, well, that that would never have happened to me. I would have been screamed at if I'd done that. So you can also have this kind of righteous indignation from the younger parts of you going, well, this child is not appreciating just how much yeah. it to just not shout. <laughs> how ungrateful and you know so it's really complex there's lots of different layers in these moments of oh I've just exploded what just happened so many different things that are going on for us internally you know both just in terms of our biology what's happening in that moment as well as our history as well as what's going on around us and our circumstances what what, what are other people going to think all of those kind of things that come in and I think this is one of the key points that I really want to get across to people is that actually the more simple we make our parenting experiences, the less we kind of understand actually just how complex they are. So if we talk about them in a complex way and understand all of these different layers that come in throughout all of our experiences, we can just treat ourselves with so much more kindness because Mm. what a lot is going on in all of those moments. So no wonder sometimes we might lose our temper. (laughs) Absolutely. And that, I think I was really sort of moved then by your description of, you know, kind of almost like a stereotypical parenting experience of someone that is like fearing the judgment of others who isn't sleeping properly, who isn't eating properly, who hasn't got time for themselves. And you've obviously spoken to thousands of parents in the course of your work. Do you feel like parents and especially mums are getting adequate support and help with those early months weeks years of parenting like far 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 from it far from it the opposite I think and I think that it's actually become worse over the course of my career so I've been working with parents in different ways for 20 years and I think that you know but there've been both structural changes in that time as well as social changes so the amount of support that is available for people during pregnancy, birth and the early years has vastly reduced, like really dramatically reduced. So thinking about things like when I first started working, I would have expected for a new parent to have a health visitor who would go and visit them every week and would be able to offer listening visits if they were struggling with their mental health. That was just absolutely part of an offer. And it would be only after those listening visits had happened that they might then be referred to a psychologist who would be easily accessible. And I would expect to see somebody within, certainly within 12 weeks of being referred. 
that just doesn't really happen anymore. You know, mm. we know that the numbers of parents in need have increased and we also know that the numbers of midwives and health visitors have decreased caseloads have massively increased so you know the amount of time that midwives and health visitors are available or able to spend with new parents has, has really reduced we also know that it's much harder to for example access gp support so even getting a referral can be tricky if you know that you want to come and see somebody like me a psychologist in the nhs and then those sort of you know, more community organisations that maybe have been set up sometimes to fill in those gaps can sometimes feel hard to access depending on where you are in the country. But also, if you're from a marginalised group, it can often be much harder to access support. So from that point of view, I think that access to support has really reduced. Plus, we don't really, you know, kind of support new parents in communities anymore. So, you know, when I was brought up, there would have been more support from neighbours, there would have been more support from communities, people tended to live nearer their families. And, you know, all of that has kind of reduced as well. So parents are parenting much more in isolation these days than they used to be. At the same time, the pressure on parents has increased. So there are much stronger ideas about what a good parent is, what a good parent looks like, how good parents respond there's much more kind of didactic or directive information about what you should do as a parent. And I think that that combination of those two things, kind of reduced support and increased demand, has seen you know, an inevitable rise in anxiety for parents yeah. because there is this constant feeling of, you know, I'm doing this on my own in virtual isolation and there is just so much that I can get wrong. Mm. Well, that's all. I mean, that's all very true. It's also all deeply depressing. What do you think needs to change to improve things for the better? Well, money. (laughs) (laughs) Our most basic funding, funding, governmental funding. And, you know, there are brilliant um, new plans, like the NHS long-term plan that's just recently been refreshed. You know, that looked at increasing funding for perinatal services at the same time the demand has vastly increased over COVID and we have a burnt out NHS staff mm-hmm. population. So, you know, I think that the it's, it's about, you know, kind of really meaningful funding for both public services and also the third sector organisations that so often support families, but also value, you know, value both for parents and the work that they do and for the professionals who work with parents. You know, we don't have a narrative in our society anymore that new parents should be supported. You really see that when you look at comment sections of Mm -hmm. newspaper articles about things like increases in childcare funding. You know, the disparaging remark that, you know, parents should just be able to cope with everything. And, you know, that that is the circumstances in which we are parenting very little validation very little value whereas what we're actually doing as parents is raising a generation of human beings like how is that not something of value and a purposeful activity and I think we really saw that you know recently with the changes to childcare budgets that were talked about you know the emphasis on getting people back into work as soon as possible there is so rarely an emphasis on the importance of building a relationship with a child and supporting parents to do that. And that's the heart of it, right? We are talking about relationships with new human beings. And the more that we invest in those relationships, 
not just as parents, but society around those children, the happier, more content, more purposeful those children will grow to become. So to me, it absolutely blows my mind, you know, that if we think about what we saw over COVID with the disproportionate impact on families and children, you know, that that these are the people who are going to be, you know, they're going to be adults very soon. And why aren't we supporting their development in absolutely the best way we can? On this series, I mean, we've been focusing a lot on postnatal health, the physical side of postnatal recovery, as well as mental. This has come up time and time again, but I think isn't necessarily always recognised by sort of health services is how deeply those two things are intertwined. Do you find that with the women that you see, the care and support they've had for the physical side of things, how much does that impact on them psychologically? Oh, enormously, enormously. You know, it, it, they are so tied up together. And, you know, what I think I, one of the things that I feel really grateful for in working independently is that I do tend to work in liaison with other healthcare professionals. It's another reason why perinatal work is so rewarding. You tend to work with lots of other professionals too. So that might be women's health physio. It might be working with a midwife or a health visitor working with a nursery nurse who's supporting the well-being of the baby you might have a social worker involved you know when I first started working I was working in Shore Start so all of those people were kind of very easily accessible Mm -hmm. not necessarily women's health physios but physios in general you know now I can work in that kind of multidisciplinary team but it's expensive so it's not it's not accessible for very many people yeah I think that you know it's all so tied together. So if we think about somebody who's had a physical injury during birth, that is going to impact on their sense of self, on their sense of confidence in themselves, on their relationship with their body. But also they might then have these very practical tasks to do to recover while they're also trying to look after a new baby without very much support. So, you know, that in itself can have a mental health impact of feeling like, you know, how am I supposed to look after myself on this baby while I'm trying to recover from, you know, what might be a really serious injury. We can't really talk about one thing without talking about the other. And I think what can be so frustrating for people and also really prolong mental health difficulties for people is that the way that services tend to be set up is that we look at all of those things really separately. So you might go and see a women's health physio and be on a waiting list for a while. You might be going to see a psychologist. Those people might not be communicating. And that's why, you know, liaison communication is so important. So, for example, one of the things that I work with quite frequently is a fear of intimacy, you know, fear fear of sexual intimacy after having either a birth trauma or just a difficult birth. We can feel very out of touch with our bodies after we've given birth. Really essential to me to do that work alongside a physio who can do that kind of more, you know, the physical growing of confidence, thinking about the impact on somebody physiologically while I work more on the kind of anxiety. And, you know, together that, that becomes kind of a joint effort. So together somebody can quite quickly grow in their confidence and sense of security in their body. That makes a huge amount of sense as well, because I mean, certainly from my own experiences, I think sometimes when you have had birth injuries or you're recovering from birth trauma as well, but with birth injuries, if you are not 100% sure that physically things are right, it's very difficult Mm. to accept that your anxieties are just anxieties. 
Yes, totally. And, you know, it's not for me to be able to make that decision as a psychologist. And, you know, and we know that physiological injuries after birth are quite often missed. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that there is something, and I'm really pleased to see that, you know, kind of social media has been such a big part of that and podcasts like yours and helping people really grow their confidence and trusting their own instinct when they feel like something isn't right. But it can take a long time to be able to then find a professional to confirm that for you. Yeah. And it's difficult, isn't it? You know, my women's health is amazing, but she has sort of ended up being kind of substitute therapist as well because she's she's the only person that sort of, I mean, I guess you very rarely come across people who really understand what it is mm-hmm. that you've gone through. And I think women's health videos are, are wonderful people in that they really do seem to understand the psychological impact of yeah. these injuries. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, if you go and see a GP, you know, some of them are wonderful, but a lot of people are just like, yep, you know, you have X, Y, and Z. Here's a cream or here's the referral and that's that. And there's no sort of appreciation of the fact that this is impacting you at a really deeply vulnerable time. And that anything that affects your ability or your perception of your ability to look after your child Mm. is deeply traumatizing even if the problem that you have is hemorrhoids you know and you just you need some hemorrhoid cream and going to the toilet's a bit uncomfortable like if you feel like that's affecting your ability to live a normal life and be the best parent you can be to your child then it's still upsetting it's still upsetting and and it's also you know I think what you're saying is so important because it comes back to the idea of valuing parents you know if we have this story that parents particularly mums should just be able to cope no matter what's thrown at them then you can go and speak to somebody whether you know whether that's a healthcare professional family friend a neighbor whoever it is and you know talk about something that you're struggling with if that is the prevailing narrative then the answer is always something along the lines of yeah but you're fine there aren't you <laughs> you know because actually <laughs> what's really important is your baby mm-hmm. and you know I think that is the experience of so many particularly for women well because that is such a strong story that you should just be able to cope no matter what anything that makes you feel vulnerable or like you're not coping the way that you should and in inverted commas be coping can really leave you feeling such a huge sense of failure of guilt of shame that it then makes it so much less likely that you're going to go and talk about it which makes it even less likely that you're going to go and get the help that you need which like you say if it's hemorrhoids it's not really that complicated yeah. to go and get the support that you need but I think those kind of obstacles that we put in the way of parents all the time it's so meaningful because what it leaves so many new parents feeling is that I have to deal with this by myself there is nobody there to support me And anything that I feel is not okay is my responsibility or my failing. And, you know, it is heartbreaking when you think about it in that way, the loneliness, the isolation that so many new parents go through. And all because we have this myth, which is that you should just be able to do it without support. You know, that even if you need to go and get your hemorrhoid cream, that that's not going to get in the way of the relationship that you're building with your baby, because that should be you know, your number one priority and anything that takes you away from that is you just being a terrible parent. Yeah. You know, when you put it like that, obviously I'm being a bit facetious, but at the same time, that kind of is the story that we yeah, that really we hear is. so often, you know, that I say so often of mums going to the GP, bringing their kids along because they've got no childcare, very, very common scenario, mm-hmm. and getting admonished by a, a healthcare professional for bringing children when they're talking about something personal. 
mm-hmm. you know that it so often can be this a lack of understanding for the actual reality of what parenting involves for people day to day absolutely and there's this whole idea isn't there um of you know mum saying oh I took time for myself today I, I had a shower yeah you know, I, basic... I met a basic need yeah <laughs> and and still but still feeling guilty about that and that horrible thing that yeah. haunts you where you yeah. can hear babies crying in the shower oh <laughs> yeah, yeah you kind think... of very common sort of intrusive thoughts yeah you've left your baby for 10 minutes how dare you you're a terrible parent. but maybe that's the other side you know of that myth that we talked about you know that we should be able to cope because part of that is a really strong and powerful prevailing myth of you know, this idea that motherhood is martyrdom, which is something that I talk about a lot with clients and I talk about it a bit in the book. But, you know, we are still haunted by ideas of like the Virgin Mary and, you know, these kind of very, you know, very long-standing myths of maternal instinct and what that actually means and the way that we should kind of subjugate ourselves on the Mm -hmm. altar of motherhood you know this is something that is so present in all of the you know kind of not just the women that I speak to but uh you know male partners too you know this kind of idea that if we almost if we have a need of our own we're doing something wrong like why aren't you grateful that you get to have a shower because surely you should just be gazing at your baby (laughs) and you know if you kind of once we bring those stories to light and kind of think about well what does that actually mean where does that story come from do I still believe that story what is it costing me to believe that story Mm -hmm. then we can kind of twist that on its head a little bit and think about well you know what do I gain when I meet my basic need of hygiene and how am I going to get there if I don't have any support, what do I need in order to be able to, to have those basic needs met? And then even more than that, what do I need to have my non-basic needs met? You know, those yeah. kind of needs that make me feel like a whole person and not just like I'm kind of saving somebody else all day, every day. Of course, there is pleasure and joy and huge amount of reward in looking after children. But we stop feeling that if we feel like we are servants and you know cannot think about ourselves at all. So, you know, that's where the kind of guilty feelings can come in, you know, that we can have this feeling like I I should just want to do this all the time. If we don't attend to ourselves as people, we simply won't enjoy it because we just can't do it all the time. In any relationship, we need to have space away to remember who we are. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned joy because your book does promise to help uh, unlock the secrets to finding joy in parenting. So I'm very intrigued as to, I mean, I know that it's probably far more complicated than just one or two sound bites that you can give me today on the podcast. But what do you think are the sort of key factors in finding parenting a joyful experience rather than an overwhelmingly difficult one? Well, I think firstly, it is acknowledging that it is difficult, that it's not a personal failing if you're finding it difficult, because once you understand that you can relax, let your shoulders drop know that it's not just your struggle this is something that is hard for everybody in different ways when you allow yourself to understand that you can kind of take the pressure off a little bit and that allows you to create space and it's in that space that you can find joy and pleasure I think there's also something really important about parenting being a relationship you know it's not about something that we are doing to another human being it is the growing of a relationship between you and your child or you and your children 
when we remember that we can take the agency out of it too you know, we can so often feel like you know this is the current challenge that I have and I just need to find a strategy in order to be able to fix this challenge but actually there are always going to be new challenges because this is a human and you're going to have a really long relationship with them so being able to focus less on the fixing and the doing and just more on the how do I just be with this other human being how do we enjoy each other what are the things that actually bring us pleasure when we spend time together I think also um really understanding who children are you know I think that often the when we talk about parenting because we so often talk about it as this thing that we do we lose sight of the other person in that relationship which is our child or our children and one of the main kind of points that runs throughout the book is that once we know what we're bringing and we can see, you know, what our baggage is and kind of how that is impacting on our parenting. It makes it much easier to see our actual child, not just them as an extension of us or as a reflection of our behaviour, but actually who they are and their personality and everything that they bring. And there is something so magical about children and the way that they operate and the way that their brains work. And, you know, we can kind of focus on the problematic parts of having children their poor impulse control or you know all of those are kind of challenging behavior their high emotions but actually all of those things also bring so much joy and once we can let go of our kind of adult expectations of what little humans are supposed to be like once we also let go of our ideals about who we are and what they're meant to be if we're going to be good parents or they're going to be good children it enables us to really see this kind of magic that they bring to the world and to our lives and being able to let go of that kind of adult expectation allows us to enter the world of children which is a great place to be you know it's bonkers and there's so much going on all the time and none of it makes any sense to us as adults but if we can allow ourselves to just enter that little world for some time during the day even five minutes during the day where we can see the world through their eyes that's where we find joy because the world to them is a completely different place yeah. than the world that we exist in. That's a really beautiful thought, actually. And and it's so true. I think so many parents will relate to that idea that one of the best things about parenting is seeing the world again through the yeah. eyes of this completely innocent and enthusiastic person who thinks everything from like ducks to buses is just fantastic. Yeah. But it's so hard to do that, right? Going back to what we were talking about before about judgment and the weight of other people's expectations and you know we can't stop and just just stand in this puddle for the rest of the afternoon because actually I need to go buy milk or you know whatever it is you know that that it's so hard to do it's so hard to do to be able to kind of let go of the things that we need to get done the tasks that we have in our life and be able to focus on the tasks of childhood which are jumping in puddles and looking at leaves and just checking out snails absolutely Brilliant. Well, that is has all been fantastic advice. Emma, before you go, I want to ask you the question I ask everyone that comes on, which is if there was one thing you could change about the world we live in to improve things for new parents, what would it be? I would have every single person really think about the importance of parenting and parents, because I think that if we had that in our minds, we would respond so differently to the parents around us. Emma's book, Parenting for Humans, is out now and there's a link in the show notes to where you can buy it. You can follow Emma on Instagram at mumologist and you can also find her on Facebook 
under Dr. Emma Svanberg, psychologist. Thank you for listening to Mother Bodies and for spreading the word that mum's health does matter. If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed in this episode, please, please don't suffer in silence. I've put some links in the show notes for organisations that offer support. Please do remember that nothing on this podcast should be taken as a substitute for proper medical advice. If you have any concerns about your physical or mental health, please contact a healthcare professional like your GP, midwife, health visitor, women's health physiotherapist or your local counselling service. Hit subscribe or follow now to get Mother Bodies every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram or Twitter at Mother Bodies.